Let me pray and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. I pray your spirit would lead us and guide us, please, into all truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you're not here for the Old Testament study, you're in the wrong room and you should leave now. We are here to look at Genesis. For those of you who wish to stay, we're going to go all the way through Malachi. It's going to take us a couple of weeks, but hang with us. We'll get there. We're going to start in Genesis. We are in part three of the family tree of faith. Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you what to think here. Uh, Moses is helping the people understand how did we get here. And he's tracing back the family tree that's laid out in Genesis all the way back to Adam, and he's particularly highlighting the Abrahamic covenant that God gave Abraham. So that's why he's talking about all these things, and even in uh, one part of chapter 25 tonight, you ran across the, um, the little tiny short family tree of Ishmael, and so we'll talk about that very briefly too. So Moses is uh, telling Israel, how did we get here? Here is the family tree of faith from Moses. So he's tracing the family tree of faith from Adam to Noah to Shem to Abraham. He's tracing their roots, their lineage, and he's particularly interested in the Abrahamic covenant, which is the backbone of the Bible. Now, remember, if you heard Cody this morning, he said if he was to wake, wake one of us up at 4 a.m., right, what would we say? Someone cleverly said bacon and eggs. I, I wouldn't be nearly that with it at the, that time to get bacon and eggs out. But here's, what's gonna, here's what I want to hear from you. If I call you at 4 in the morning, here's what I want to hear from you. There were three promises... In the, in the Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, and blessing. Never forget these for the next two years. If you do, it will not go well for you on the final. There are three characteristics of the Abrahamic covenant which we're going to talk about. So I want you to, I know we're in chapter 25, I want you to turn back to, in chapter 12... This is where God made the promises to Abraham while he was still in Ur, it seems. He leaves Ur, goes to Haran, his own father dies, he brings Lot into what would become the promised land. So chapter 12 are the promises. Chapter 15, we didn't go into it last week, but we'll have a little bit of time this week, so we're going to go into it very, very quickly. We talked about the different kinds of covenants last week. Remember, there was a handshake covenant, there was a shoe covenant, there was a salt covenant, and each one is getting a little more mm, uh, harder to undo, harder to get out of. Well, the most binding kind of covenant was a blood covenant, blood covenant. So, chapter 15, sometime later... The Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Remember, he's just come back from uh, rescuing uh, Lot, and he brought a whole bunch of stuff back with him, and this mysterious figure named Melchizedek shows up. Uh, Melek is king, and um, Melchizedek, and he's the king of Salem which is the king of Shalom, the king of Jerusalem. Ah, we have to wait till we get to the book of Hebrews to figure out who this individual is. It's actually, many people think, a, so ready for this word? You're going to want to write this down. You've heard of theophany. That is uh, God showing up before Christ. But more properly, it's a Christophany. That's a pre-incarnate version of Jesus, because the only person we've ever seen, not you and I, but who have ever been seen by man, is Jesus. 
The Father is invisible. Uh, Spirit of God, he's like the wind, but he's invisible. The only person who's ever been seen is Jesus Christ. So they call these Christophanies. Now, there's some, some uh, discussion as to whether this is a Christophany or whether this is actually a fellow named Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, who we just get this, we get a, a snapshot of this individual. And anyway, he's got some relationship with Yahweh. That's crazy. But he does. And, Melch- and uh, uh, Abraham gives him a tenth of everything by way of thank you for your, you're basically a priest, and you have uh, blessed me and brought me back safely with all the stuff. And so he gives tithes to Melchizedek, which is important later on in the book of Hebrews when we talk about Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Leviticus, and that actually uh, Leviticus, uh, actually the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek in, in the loins. Mm. When we get to Hebrews, we'll flesh all that out, but that's just a preview. All kinds of fun stuff. I told you you'd want to write that down. All right. So Abraham has just come back with all the spoils. He's just given a tenth to Melchizedek. And God says to him, I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great, or I will be your very great reward. Abraham replies, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is what Paul goes back to in Romans 3 and 4, when he talks about how justification by faith preceded justification, if such thing could happen, by the law. It's right here. We haven't got past chapter 15, and we, also, we already have salvation by grace alone through God's word alone in, in faith alone. So we, they don't know about Jesus yet, but he believes God. He takes God at his word. He believes it, and God credits that to him as righteousness. Okay. So then, Abra- or then uh, the Lord said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Okay, God's given him a promise. Now he's going to go further. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, all sacrificial animals that we'll learn about in Leviticus. Uh, Let's see. Uh, So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun goes down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So here's the deal. You took these animals, you cut them in half... You laid them out like this, and if you were going to make a covenant, a blood covenant with somebody, you walked through, 
Now, if you're making a bilateral covenant, so if I'm going to make a covenant with, um, let's say I'm going to make a covenant with Laurie, so we're going to hold hands and we're going to walk through these pieces, signifying if either of us violates the covenant, this is what you can do to us. That's what you're doing. You're walking between the pieces saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant, you can cut me in half and lay me on the ground. That's what's going on. What does God do? After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Who has just made the covenant? God. Who was walking with him? Where is Abraham? He's sort of asleep under a tree. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, and Mosquito Bites. <laughs> Israel has never had from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates River yet. When you say, gosh, we're talking about all this end time stuff. I'm not really sure what difference it makes. Wait a minute. God promised and made a covenant that Israel was going to have this. If they haven't gotten it yet, then either God changed his mind and forgot to tell us, or it hasn't happened yet. Part of this, why are we looking at end times, is because God has made promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And God is a God of his word. He will fulfill these things. It's just not yet. Okay? But we have to live like it's moving in that direction. All right. So God alone has made this. He's walked through the pieces. Abraham is kind of, you know, I don't know what it is. He's kind of in a, he's not walking between the pieces. He's not exactly asleep, but he's not exactly awake. And so there are three, okay? First, first promise. Land, seed, and blessing. Okay, there are three characteristics. This is what, when I call you at 5 o'clock in the morning, this is what you'll say. There are three characteristics of this covenant. First, it is unilateral. Unilateral means there are no ifs or thens. Did you see any ifs or thens in chapter 15 as I was reading it? Did you hear any? That's because there aren't any. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And he walks through the pieces. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. By the time we get to the Mosaic Covenant, God says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Right? If you don't do these things, it won't go quite as well for you. That's if then. You get the difference? This is a one way. This is a unilateral covenant. It is unconditional. God says, this is what he's going to do. And Genesis 17, if you look at, uh, let's see, what do I have, 7 and 8? Yeah, 7 and 8. Uh, God says to Abraham in chapter 17, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. What does the next part say? This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. The Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, blessing, unilateral, meaning God walked between the pieces. So God made the promise, God walked between the pieces. And in Hebrews... If you, want to go, if you want to read Hebrews this week, you're going to run across this. God, who does God swear by who's higher than him? No one. And it says, so God took an oath against himself, and he made a covenant. 
I mean, he doubled down on this thing. He didn't just say, there's a promise out there. He said, there's a promise and there's a covenant. And this thing is eternal. Therefore, how does the Abrahamic covenant roll out through the Old Testament and the New Testament? And that's kind of what I was showing you with that cartoon that I think was in your handouts last week. Shows you how they go all the way through Old Testament and New Testament. But it's particularly huge in the Old Testament. You can't understand the Old Testament if you don't understand the Abrahamic covenant. All right, that's why I'm, I'm doubling down on the Abrahamic covenant. You really got to understand the Abrahamic covenant. Land, seed, blessing, unilateral, unconditional, unending. I made it three U's so that you can remember it easier. Okay? So remember, 4 a.m. is land, seed, blessing. 5 a.m. is unilateral, unconditional, unending. Good, good, good. Yes. You're a good class. Moses is tracing the family tree of faith. Adam, Noah, Shem, Abraham, your roots, your lineage, and God's covenant. How are we here? We are here because we are not here by accident, and we have a covenant from God. And that's why we're here and where we are getting ready to go over the Jordan River into the promised land. We're there because of this. It's not just because somebody thought, hey, look at that land. That looks really good. Let's take that. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because this is the land God promised and took an oath to give them and made a covenant about that. Okay. Abraham. Let me finish up Abraham. He's a model of walking with God by faith. He received an eternal covenant from God. Yes, he had a habit of taking matters into his own hands. He started late, and he finished great. And his last thoughts, the last actions he took, were on behalf of his family. He wanted to make sure that his son, Isaac, had a wife from the right hometown. Not a local girl, he wanted someone else. Okay? So his last thoughts are of his family. So whatever became of Terah, well, Abraham became of Terah. That's who became of Terah was Abraham. And then we have the next Toledot in 25 is, this is the account of the family of Ishmael. So in the family tree of faith, we're given the family tree of the, the chosen part of the tree, the part that's going to go on, but we're, we always give mention to the other branch that wasn't chosen. So in this case, it's Ishmael. So here are Ishmael's descendants. And so he gets a little tiny toledote to talk about, okay, we're moving down this road. Here's the family tree of faith. Whatever happened to Ishmael? Well, Ishmael had 12 descendants. And, and they, they lived and they prospered and they did some other things. Okay, now let's go back to the chosen line. Two lines have developed. All right? Ishmael gets a, a little nod here. And where he and his um, family wind up living, uh, we're told also. And this, uh, these will show up, these people will show up later when Israel goes to war uh, with some of these folks. Next, Toledot starts then on cha- in chapter 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Are you, are you getting the flow of what's happening here in Genesis? We're walking down the family tree of faith. There's these little stubs of Ishmael. We'll get another little stub of Esau later. So we're just going, the, it's a family tree of faith. Okay. So, whatever happened to Ishmael? We, we learned that. Whatever happened to Isaac, or whatever became of Isaac? He is a son according to the promise. What did God tell Abraham in chapter 12? Or, sorry, in, it's actually in 14 or 15, right? When he's standing there with Melchizedek and he says, Oh Lord, what are you going to give me? Because, you know, I'm going to have to give it to my servant. He goes, No, you're not. I'm going to give you a son from your own body. Another promise. 
Abraham decides, oh, probably what he meant was Hagar the Egyptian. No, that's not what God meant. <laughs> that's not what he meant at all. That was, Ishmael was the result. Isaac, remember God comes back later, visits him and says, this time next year you're going to have a child. You're going to name him. He laughs. We talked about that last week. So Isaac is the son of the promise that Paul picks up on in Galatians. Paul says there are two mountains. There's Mount Sinai, and then there's, um, oh, golly, what was the other one? Oh, I forgot. I'll look it up and write a paper. Okay, it's already in here. There's, Paul says there are two mountains, and you eat, there's one that's by human works, and then there's one that's by promise. And the one by promise is the one of Isaac, because Isaac is the son of promise. Okay, he begins with great advantages and great faith. Like Abraham, he's also a man of faith and of fear. But Isaac is in here to warn us not about, remember last week's lesson, faith is living without scheming? Isaac is here to warn us of something else. And that is great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. Great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. And hopefully you got to read about Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And you read about some wells and Abimelech. And then your Sunday school lesson, Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau. I'm going to put some, uh, some of you, I'm going to blow your minds tonight, and that's okay. Uh, you don't have to believe me, but that's okay too. Um, you can study and come to the truth anytime you want to do that. <laughs> First, Isaac was a man of faith. Chapter 22, remember Mount Moriah. This is just unbelievable how Isaac started his life. Let's say he's 22. Is Abraham going to take him? I don't think so. I don't think so. Abraham is an elderly person by this time. If a 22-year-old wanted to fight uh, an older person, they would likely win. They're just stronger. So, Isaac willingly submitted to all of this. Unbelievable faith. Really, truly, unbelievable. So he goes up, and he's obedient unto even death if required. And I put a little asterisk on there because in Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews is a big book. We're going to get to Hebrews, but I'm giving you a little bit of preview. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 the writer to the Hebrews says, Abraham sacrificed Isaac, or was going to sacrifice Isaac, believing God would raise him from the dead. What? I'm going to take my son. This is the son of the promise. I'm going to take him up there, and if I kill him, God's going to bring him back to life. Because that's the only way God can fulfill what he said he's going to do. Abraham, huge faith, huge faith. Isaac started off so great in this area. He goes to Mount Moriah in faith with his father. He trusts his father for a suitable bride. Now, that's how it was done in those days, but you, uh, your marriage would have been arranged, and so Abraham arranged it through his servant. Uh, he brings back Rebecca and problem, uh, they can't have any children. They pray for 20 years. So they get married when Isaac is 40, and then it says in 25, 26, verse 26 of chapter 25, the second phrase, uh, they name him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. 
20 years they pray for a child. He receives an answer to his prayer. Remember, uh, 25 verse, well, it's, it starts in, right after the Toledot begins on uh, Jacob and Esau, and the family of Isaac. Uh, Isaac's 40, he marries Rebekah. Um, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Whoop! God flips the natural order here. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. (laughs) So they named him Esau, red or hairy. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob or heel grabber. Oh, how appropriate. And Isaac was 60 when all of this happened. So they are praying for children. God answers their prayer with twins and says, uh, here's what's going to happen. These two are wrestling, and the older is going to serve the younger. Okay. So question for, for you moms. Uh, If this were you, would you have told Isaac? Right? Wrestling around in there. Probably Isaac knows about it already. God says, here's what the deal is. You think you would tell Isaac? I think you would. What's going on? Well, listen to this, honey. (laughs) Here's what God says. The older is going to serve the younger. Wow, that's weird. (laughs) Okay, so off they go. What do we learn from this little piece of Isaac's life? We learn obedience brings God's blessing. Obedience to what God has said brings his blessing. Like Mount Moriah, like trusting his father for a suitable bride, praying to God. He gets an answer for his prayer or they get an answer for their prayer. So one little thing we learn from Isaac's story so far is obedience brings blessing. This will show up in the Old Testament lots and lots and lots. Interesting. Uh, Turn to Ephesians. Yes, I know that that's in the New Testament. It's okay. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Or if you have it on your phone or, you know, wherever it is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You there? All praise to God. This is Paul writing. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I want you to understand something got flipped upside down. In the Old Testament, I obey and I'm blessed. In the New Testament, I'm blessed, therefore I am to obey. Ephesians 1.3, what kind of blessings do I have? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Whatever was in Christ's vault, he let me, he, he let me get on the signing card. Do you understand what you have access to? I don't. (laughs) Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is already yours if you're in Christ. Already yours. Therefore, obey. But here, obedience brings God's blessing. From here, then Isaac 
chapter 26, verse 1, a severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Abraham moved, or so Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. All right, what you need to see on this is Gerar is on the border with the Philistines. Isaac has walked. Okay, so remember, Abraham, there's a famine in the land, and what does Abraham do? Heads to Egypt. Like father, like son. What does Isaac do? He heads for Egypt. He gets right here. He gets right up to the edge. Here's Gerar. And God says, stop! Don't go there. Isaac stops right here. And he waits. Now, he doesn't leave. So he hangs out on the border. You know, there's a lot of people today who hang out on the border. I'm not talking about the United States-Mexico border. I'm talking about the spiritual border, right there between what's spiritual and what's worldly. And there's a lot of people who walk right up to this edge, and they say, I know exactly where the line is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live right here. I know if I take one more step, that's too far, but I'll stay right here. That's what Isaac was doing. He said, I'm going to get real close, but I'm not going to cross the line. We've got a lot of Christians who are living that way these days. They live in the border towns, and they shouldn't. They should be backing up. So he sojourns to the border town. That's why border is in quotes. Uh, he bore, uh, to the border town of Gerar. You know, it, it just reminds me, are there certain things that you pray about and certain other things you don't? You wonder, hmm, I wonder if I'm living in a border town. I don't know. But if there's things you don't pray about, um, you might begin asking yourself, hmm, which direction am I moving? Am I moving toward the border or away from the border? Because I may not want God's answer. Because I may want to go across the border. Just a thought, sorry for meddling. The sojourn to the border town of Gerar. It's in the face of a famine, and fear takes matters into its own hands and runs. Fear usually runs. If it can't scheme its way out, it's going to run. God shows up and says, don't leave, don't go anywhere, I'm going to take care of you. Isaac doesn't, but he tries another trick that he learned from daddy, and I'll just call my wife my sister so that they don't hurt me to get her. Wow. Isaac tries that. It doesn't work, does it? <laughs> because the commander... Yeah, the, the commander sees, uh, sees them, well, some, some, trans, some translations will say fondling. Uh, in any event, you would pretty well figure out those people are probably married. <laughs> and so that's what the leader sees, and that's what causes him to go, what have you done to me? So his fear, again, leads to him being shamed by a Gentile. A Gentile says, you would never do such a thing as this. But Isaac has done it, just like Abraham before him. You would think Abraham would have said, uh, son, out of all the things I regret, don't do this. If he did tell him that, Isaac wasn't listening. And so Isaac repeats his father's um, mistakes, sins. So those who've been blessed by God, what do we learn about this from this little section? Those who've been blessed by God should walk in patient obedience to his word. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience. And everyone has a funny look on their face. Oh, patience. 
I hate patience. Why would patience be a fruit of the Spirit if it were bad? Selah. Is God patient? The answer is yes. Is it wrong to be like God? The correct answer is no. (laughs) If God wants us to be patient, then what should we want? We should want to be patient. What does that mean? I probably don't get what I want when I want it. I don't particularly care for that. (laughs) I'd rather go live in the border town. Those who have been blessed by God should walk in patient obedience to his word. Interesting through uh, these little sections, we find out uh, that Isaac is being blessed because of Abraham. Is that strange? Isaac is being blessed because of his father. What did Ephesians 1, verse 3 say? You have been blessed in the heavenly realms. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Do you understand you have no blessings on your own? All you have is from him. And what you have is unfathomable. We receive blessings from Christ and only Christ, Isaac was receiving blessings from Abraham, beginning to illustrate a principle. Jesus is going to bless, and we can receive those. I didn't earn those blessings, and every time I'm tempted to think, hmm, I did a good job there. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe I was just being blessed because of Christ. Those who have been blessed by God should walk in patient obedience to his word. He's a man of faith. He's a man of fear. He's also a man of peace. And when he's living in the Gerar Valley, God begins blessing him because he hasn't left Canaan. That's why when I said earlier, where should Abraham have stayed in the famine? Remember we talked about that a couple lessons ago? Right? You didn't forget that, did you? Not already. That was just a couple weeks ago. Abraham shouldn't have left the promised land. He shouldn't have left the land God gave to him and go to Egypt. He didn't stop Abraham, and he did stop Isaac. Isaac should and did stop, and God says, because you stayed put, you're on the border, but you stayed put, and he begins blessing him. And this comes from all the wells, uh, and then there's some some shenanigans with the wells, Isaac begins to open up the wells that his father Abraham dug and named, and Isaac renames them, the same thing that Abraham called them. And he keeps getting kicked out and moved because the, uh, well, some, at least some baddies are, are after him and keep making him move. And he finally comes to a place where he's got peace and he says, uh, you know, so God has finally given me room, peace and room. Romans twelve eighteen, great verse if you don't have it memorized. Anybody know Romans twelve eighteen? As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. As far as it's possible with you. It doesn't say as far as it's possible with them. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. That might not always be possible, but as far as it goes with you, live at peace with all men. Isaac is a great illustration of that. He's chased around. He doesn't have any peace. He's just got conflict. He finally gets to a place where he's got room and he's got peace. And so he settles down, and that place is a wonderful place um, called Beersheba, which shows up a lot throughout the Old Testament. Uh, So he's a man of peace. It's through conflict. A lesson we can learn from this is through conflict and suffering that our souls are enlarged and made ready for more. And you can read Psalm 4 on your own. Uh, But sort of an interesting, I don't know, what do you call that? Paradox. 
It's through conflict and suffering that our souls are enlarged and made ready for more. It's a good lesson. He's a man of peace, a man of faith, a man of fear, a man of peace. He's also a man with the covenant. So in 26, he comes, uh, let's see, let's see, one day, um, so he makes a covenant with Abimelech because he's being so blessed, and the Gentiles see it, and so they make a covenant, and God confirms that the Abrahamic covenant has now passed to him in 23 through 25. Uh, from there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. The Abrahamic covenant is passing, it's confirmed that it's been passed on to Isaac. Isaac has become Israel's second patriarch, and God continues to fulfill his covenant promises using Isaac as a conduit of blessing, which is, uh, that's where the story of Abimelech, I jumped ahead, where the story of Abimelech fits in. God begins to bless even the Gentiles, uh, with the blessings from Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And he's told Isaac and Rebekah that the next covenant heir will be Jacob, not Esau. And so we reach chapter 27. Chapter 27. We have a man with a weakness. In Genesis 27, when you were in Sunday school, you might have not known how old everyone was. So first, we're going to just lay that groundwork so that you can see uh, that, Isaac, that uh, Jacob and Esau were not 12-year-old boys <laughs> running around here playing boyish tricks. Isaac is 137. He thinks he's going to die, but he lives till 180. Hmm. Hmm. Curious. Jacob and Esau, twins are 77. Can we call them middle-aged? I think we can. These boys are grown men with likely their own families. Hmm. Okay. All is not well in the land of Isaac. One day... When Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. It's only 43 years from now, but I don't know when I'm going to (laughs) die. Now you say, well, he doesn't know. I got it. He's playing. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Stop. (laughs) Hmm. Who was the blessing supposed to go to? Because the older will serve the younger. Who is supposed to be getting this? Jacob. (laughs) 
But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So this family is messed up, okay? If you, if you just need me to tell you, they are messed up. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now listen, or now my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Jacob, uh, huh? But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Yeah, Jacob is not real concerned that he's doing something wrong. He's more concerned that he's going to be found out. Does the Bible speak truth? All right. What does his mother say? Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and she gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth parts, or the back part of his neck, with the skin of the young goats. She is thinking of everything. She is scheming. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. Can you hear this? Oh, my father. (laughs) Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac said, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. (laughs) Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. If I'm Jacob right now, I'm sweating. I have those, those little cloth things, or those little fur things, they've fallen off. <laughs> so Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, ah... The smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. And may you be the master over your brothers. You say, "Uh, Bill, I think what you're talking about here, you're making up. I don't think so. What is Jacob's blessing? I mean, what is Isaac's blessing here? He says he's making him the master The older is going to rule over the younger. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal. He must have been a great cook. Probably uh, Rebecca wouldn't make him any meals. I don't know. 
Uh, Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it and blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Heel Grabber. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And so Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his neck. You will shake his yoke from your neck. All right, we got to rewind. What was the first blessing that Jacob took? Verse twenty-seven of chapter twenty-five. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. See any problems so far? Might be one or two. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. What is happening? The hunter has become the hunted. And Jacob knows what Esau is going out to find. And he knows that Esau will be hungry when he comes home. And so he just happens to make a pot of stew when Esau comes home. Remember, you go, what? Uh, Is Esau, what's one characteristic of him? He's red. What's another characteristic? He's hairy. What else is hairy? animals. Esau is like an animal. And Jacob is hunting the animal in the kitchen. Jacob's cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, betrayed me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Jacob grabs the right of the firstborn, and then he grabs what was really wasn't his to grab. God was going to give it to him, but he grabbed it anyway from Esau. Who is the problem in this story? Isaac. Isaac is the problem in this story. He's blind. He no longer sees things clearly. Why do you think we're told he's blind? He no longer sees things as they are. He begins to see them according to his appetite. Isaac ceases being a man of faith and becomes a man who's led by his appetite. He's put his agenda ahead of God's agenda. He is going to bless Esau. He has a scheme, 
and he's put it into action. Rebecca overhears it and intercepts it. What she does with Jacob is wrong. No doubt about it. But what, Esau, what uh, Isaac was doing was wrong. That is not what God said was to take place. He's putting his agenda first. He's willfully disobeying God's word. He's living for himself over living for God. He's living in the dark, trying to gratify his appetite. How does the same young man who goes to Mount Moriah volunteers to be tied up and put on a pile of wood to be killed if that's the point? How does that guy become this guy? Because this guy is living in the dark, trying to satisfy his appetite. And he's going to do whatever he can do to make it happen. They didn't tell you this in Sunday school. It was a lot easier to tell you there were 12-year-old boys who ran around, you know, playing hijinks. No, the, the real story is true and much worse. You've got two middle-aged men who are living by scheming. This is a man, Isaac, who didn't finish well. His family is fractured, fractured from parental favoritism and secrecy. Each is independent, self-willed, and self-serving. They lacked solid spiritual leadership, and Isaac's passivity was the root. His family, fractured. His legacy, one of decline. Someone has said the end of life reveals the ends of life. This didn't happen all at once. Warning. No one is immune to the self-destructive slow leak of spiritual complacency. No one is immune to the self-destructive slow leak of spiritual complacency. Big idea for our lesson tonight, great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. It's true in many realms, and it's true in the spiritual realm. Some slow leaks of spiritual decline. Are there any open gates into your soul? Inroads rooted in a lack of self-control. Proverbs 25 says, uh, the person without self-control is no better than a city without walls. Can you imagine having an, uh, an Old Testament time city with no walls? No, the enemies would just come and go. And so whoever wrote this particular proverb says, pay attention. The person without self-control is no better than a city without walls. Here's some ones that we probably all struggle with or have struggled with. Pleasing, pleasing others, right? That's what that one means. How about popularity? Prestige? How about comfort? What about security? Any open gates? In your soul, gratifying fleshly appetites will never satisfy us. Never. There's a lot of people these days who are very afraid of things going on. We all need to spend a lot more time on our knees and asking God to do something. If fear is another open gate into my soul, I may start doing things to plug that hole. 
things that maybe I ought not do or I wouldn't do under other circumstances? Are there open gates into your soul, inroads rooted in a lack of self-control? How about this one? Do you have an independent spirit? Are you resistant to authority? Hebrews 13, 17 talks about how we are to submit to the elders and make their job a joy. Are you resistant to counsel? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me just start here. Who here um, is open to critique or criticism? Can you be objective? What if the person is telling you the truth, but you're blind to it? You don't see it. You open to it? Will you take constructive criticism, critique? Will I? I don't like it. Thank you very much. Do I have an independent spirit? If I resist authority and I resist counsel, I might have some characteristics of an independent spirit. Are you putting your agenda ahead of God's? What is God's agenda for your life? I don't know. Hopefully you're spending time, again, on your knees and journaling, asking God, what do you, what do you have for me? And you say, well, I did that when I was 30. Okay. Did you do that when you were 40? How about when you're 50 or 60? How about 70 or 80? If you're still here, God still has a purpose for you. Otherwise, pretty sure you'd be with him. Your purpose isn't done. I don't care what age you are. Can your purpose change and move? I think so. Are you asking God, what is my purpose? Are you putting your agenda ahead of God's? Stopping the leaks now, very simple. Close the open gates. Look to Jesus first and most for your satisfaction. If you're looking to other things to fill the hole, you're looking in the wrong places. There is one person who will fulfill and satisfy like no other. But every time we try to cram something else into that hole, many times the Lord says to us, Burger King, have it your way. And he allows us to walk down that road for a while. And then he has to come and do a little surgery (laughs) and get that thing out of the hole and show us how he fills that hole better than we ever thought it could be filled before. Look to Jesus first and most for your satisfaction. Avoid isolation. Make your agenda pursuing God's agenda for your life and don't neglect the fundamentals. Jerry Daniel, the chairman of our elder board, talked this morning in the offering about the be one and the make one and the reach one. We need to be being disciples. We need to be growing and learning as Christ followers. But we also need to be making. Remember what Jesus said right before he leaves his, his uh, disciples? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, go and do what? Make disciples. Seems pretty clear. I don't care who. I don't care how. Are you making a disciple? Just one. To say one a year. Okay. Who? Who is that person? Who are you making into a disciple, walking with them? You, know, it's not, you don't have to be a uh, you know, teacher. You just have to walk alongside them. How are you making? Are we reaching? Am I having those fence conversations with my neighbor? Am I trying to engage them in spiritual conversations? And I don't mean knocking on the door and saying, our church is doing a series, and Cody just sent a message this morning, and if you don't turn, you're going to burn. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. 
Not talking about that. I'm talking about getting to know your neighbors as you do and beginning to have spiritual conversations with them. That's it. That's it. We can all do that. So don't neglect the fundamentals. Be one, make one, reach one. Sometimes we just need to know what the road that we're supposed to be on looks like, and then our purpose can become, will become a little bit clearer as we walk. And so God passes the covenant inheritance from Abraham to Isaac. Next stop, Jacob. Isaac drifts off the scene. The focus shifts to Jacob, who is at the moment on the run for his life from his brother Esau, who has vowed to murder him for stealing this second thing that he had. So next week, Jacob is on the run. Read your chapters. For the life of Jacob, 28 to 35, just seven short chapters. It'll be a lot of fun, and we will talk about the life of Jacob next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. It is so rich. It is so true. It is so uh, enlightening and encouraging and convicting. Uh, Thank you for it. Uh, We love your word. Would your spirit take what is yours and make it ours, please, and help us to put into practice Uh, even a few of these little tiny lessons that we've had over these past few weeks. Uh, Would you do that, please? May we walk in all of the strength of your Spirit who works so powerfully in us. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.